Chapter Seventeen of the Morgesons. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Julia Lenarden. The Morgesons by Elizabeth Stoddard. Chapter Seventeen. It was November when we returned from Boston. One morning, when the frost sparkled on the dead leaves, which still dropped on the walks, Helen Perkins and I were taking a stroll down Silver Street, behind the Academy, when we saw Dr. White coming down the street in his sulky, rocking from side to side, like a cradle. He stopped when he came to us. "'Do you sit up late of evenings, Miss Morganson?' "'No, doctor. Only once a week or so.' "'You are a case.' and he meditatively pulled his shaggy whiskers with a loose buckskin glove. "'There's a ripple coming under your eyes already. What did I tell you? Let me see. Did you say you were like your father or mother?' "'I look like my father. By the way, doctor, I am studying my temperament. You will make an infidel of me by your inquiries.' Helen laughed, and staring at him, called him a bear, and told him he ought to live in a hospital where he would have plenty of sick women to tease. I should find a few like you there. He chirped to his horse, but checked it again, put out his head, and called, Keep your feet warm, won't you? And read Shakespeare. Helen said that Dr. White had been crossed in love, and long after had married a deformed woman, for science's sake, perhaps. His talent was well known out of Rossville, but he was unambitious and eccentric. He is interested in you, Cass. That I see. "'Are you quite well? What about the change you spoke of?' "'Dr. White has theories. He has attached one to me. "'Nature has adjusted us nicely, he thinks, with fine strings. "'If we laugh too much or cry too long, a knot slips somewhere, "'which all the king's men can't take up again. "'Perhaps he judges women by his deformed wife. "'Men do judge that way, I suppose, and then pride themselves on their experience.' "'commencing their speeches about us with, "'You women. "'I'll answer your question, though. "'There's a blight creeping over me, or a mildew. "'Is there a worm in the bud? "'There may be one at the root. "'My top is green and flourishing, isn't it? "'You expect to be in a state of beatitude always. "'What is a mote of dust in another's eye, in yours, is a cataract.' You are mad at your blindness, and fight the air because you can't see. I feel that I see very little, especially when I understand the clearness of your vision. Your good sense is monstrous. It will come right somehow with you, when twenty years are wasted, maybe, she answered sadly. There's the first bell. I haven't a word yet of my rhetoric lesson. Opening her book and chanting, Man, thou pendulum betwixt a smile and tear. "'Are you going to Professor Simpson's class?' "'Shutting it again. "'I know the new dance.' "'And she began to execute it on the walk. "'The door of a house opposite us opened, "'and a tall youth came out, hat in hand. "'Without evincing surprise, he advanced toward Helen, "'gravely dancing the same step. "'They finished the figure with unmoved countenances. "'Come now,' I said, taking her arm. "'He then made a series of bows to us, "'retreating to the house with his face toward us "'till he reached the door and closed it. "'He was tall and stout, with red hair and piercing black eyes, "'and looked about twenty-three. 
can that be, Helen? A stranger. Probably some young man come to Dr. Price, or a law student. He is new here, at all events. He has not an obscure face. If it had been seen, we should have known it. We shall meet him, then. And we did, the very next day, which was Wednesday, in the hall, where we went to hear the boys declaim. I saw him sitting by himself in a chair, instead of being with the classes. He was in a brown study, unaware that he was observed. Both hands were in his pockets, and his legs were stretched out till his pantaloons had receded up his boots, whose soles he knocked together, oblivious of the noise they made. In spite of his red hair, I thought him handsome, with his Roman nose and firm cleft chin. Helen and I were opposite him at the lower part of the hall, but he did not see us, till the first boy mounted the platform and began to spout one of Cicero's orations. Then he looked up, and a smile spread over his face. He withdrew his hands from his pockets, updrew his legs, and surveyed the long row of girls opposite, beginning at the head of the hall. As his eyes reached us, a flash of recognition shot across. He raised his hand as if to salute us, and I noticed that it was remarkably handsome, small and white, and ornamented with an old-fashioned ring. It was our habit, after the exercises were over, to gather round Dr. Price to exchange a few words with him, and this occasion was no exception, for Dr. Price, with his double spectacles and his silk handkerchief in his hand, was answering our questions. When feeling a touch, he stopped, turned hastily, and saw the stranger. "'Will you be so kind as to introduce me to the two young ladies near you? "'We have met before, but I do not know their names.' "'Ah!' said the doctor, taking off his spectacles and wiping them leisurely. "'Then raising his voice, said, "'Miss Cassandra Morganson and Miss Helen Perkins, "'Mr. Ben Somers, of Bellum, requests me to present him to you. "'I add the information that he is, although a senior, "'suspended from Harvard College.' for participating in a disgraceful fight. It is at your option to notice him. "'If he would be kind enough,' said Mr. Somers, moving toward us, "'to say that I won it.' "'With such hands?' I asked. "'Oh, Somers,' interposed the doctor, "'have you much knowledge of the Bellevue Pickers Gills pedigree?' "'Certainly. My grandpa, Desmond Pickers Gill, although he came to this country as a cabin boy, was brother to an English earl. This is our coat of arms, showing the ring he wore. That is a great fact, answered the doctor. This lad, addressing me, belongs to the family I spoke of to you, a member of which married one of your name. Is it possible? I never heard much of my father's family. No, said the doctor dryly, Somers has no coat of arms. I expected, when I asked you, to hear that the Pickergill's history was at your fingers' ends. Only above the second joint of the third finger of my left hand. I thought Dr. Price was embarrassing. Is your family from Troy? Mr. Somers asked me, in a low tone. Do you dislike my name? Is that of Veronica better one? It is my sister's and we were named by our great-grandfather, who married a Somers a hundred years ago. Miss Black, my Barmouth teacher, came into my mind, for I had said the same thing to her in my first interview. 
but I was recalled from my wandering by Mr. Somers asking, "'Are you looking for your sister? Far be it for me to disparage any act of your great-grandfather's, but I prefer the name of Veronica, and fancy that the person to whom the name belongs has a narrow face, with eyes near together, and a quantity of light hair, which falls straight, that she has long hands, and is fond of Gothic architecture, and has a will of her own.' "'But never dances,' said Helen. "'There was a whist party at somebody's house every Wednesday evening. "'Alice had selected the present for one, "'and had invited more than the usual number. "'I asked Mr. Somers to come. "'Dress coat?' he inquired. "'Oh, no.' "'Is Rossville highly starched?' "'Oh, no. "'I'll be sure to go into society, then, "'as long as I can go limp.' "'He bowed.' and retiring with Dr. Price, walked through the green with him, perusing the ground. I wore a dark blue silk for the party, with a cinnamon-coloured satin stripe through it, a dress that Alice supervised. She fastened a pair of pearl earrings in my ears, and told me that I never looked better. It was the first time since Grandfather's death that I had worn any dress except a black one. My short sleeves were pearled velvet, and a lace tucker was drawn with a blue ribbon across the corsage. As I adjusted my dress, a triumphant sense of beauty possessed me. Cleopatra could not have been more convinced of her charms than I was of mine. It is a pleasant thing, I thought, that a woman's mind may come and go by the gate beautiful. I went down before Alice, who stayed with the children till she heard the first ring at the door. "'Where is Charles?' I asked, after we had greeted the Bancrofts. "'He will come in to play, for he likes whist. Do you?' "'No.' We did not speak again, but I noticed how gay and agreeable she was through the evening. Ben Somers came early, suffering from a fit of nonchalance, to the disgust of several young men, standard beau, who regarded him with an impertinence which delighted him. "'Here comes,' he said, a daughter of the gods, divinely tall and most divinely fair, meaning me, which deepened their disgust. "'Come to the piano,' I begged. Helen was there, but his eyes did not rest upon her, but upon Charles, whom he saw for the first time that evening. I introduced them. "'Cassandra,' said Charles, "'let us make up a game in the East Room. Miss Helen, will you join? Mr. Somers, will you take a hand?' "'Certainly. Miss Morgeson, will you be my partner?' "'Will you play with me, then, Miss Helen?' asked Charles. "'If you desire it,' she answered, rather ungraciously. We took our seats in the east room, which opened from the parlour at a little table by the chimney. The astral lamp from the centre table in the parlour shone into our room, intercepting any view toward us. I sat by the window the curtain of which was drawn apart, and the shutters unclosed. A few yellow leaves stuck against the panes, unstirred by the melancholy wind, which sighed through the crevices. Charles was at my right hand, by the mantel. The light from a candelabra illuminated him and Mr. Somers, while Helen and I were in shadow. Mr. Somers dealt the cards, and we began the game. "'We shall beat you,' he said to Charles. "'Not unless Cassandra has improved,' he replied. "'I promised to do my best, but soon grew weary, 
and we were beaten. To my surprise, Mr. Somers was vexed. His imperturbable manner vanished. He sat erect, his eyes sparkled, and he told me I must play better. We began another game, which he was confident of winning. I kept my eye on the cards, and there was silence till Mr. Somers exclaimed, "'Don't trump now, Mr. Morgeson!' I watched the table for his card to fall, but as it did not, looked at him for the reason. He had forgotten us, and was lost in contemplation, with his eyes fixed upon me. The recognition of some impulse had mastered him. I must prevent Helen and Mr. Somers perceiving this. I shuffled the cards noisily, rustled my dress, looked right and left for my handkerchief to break the spell. "'How the wind moans!' said Helen. I understood her tone. She understood him as I did. "'I like Rossville, Miss Perkins,' cried Mr. Somers. "'Do you?' said Charles, clicking down his card as though his turn had just come. "'I must trump this in spite of you.' "'I am tired of playing,' I said. "'We are beaten, Miss Perkins,' said Mr. Somers, rising. "'Bring it here,' to a servant, going by with a tray and glasses. He drank a goblet of wine before he offered us any. "'Now, give us music,' offering his arm to Helen, and taking her away. Charles and I remained at the table. "'By the way,' he said abruptly, "'I have forgotten to give you a letter from your father. Here it is.' I stretched my hand across the table. He retained it. I rose from my chair and stood beside him. "'Cassandra!' he said at last, growing ashy-pale. "'Is there any other world than this we are in now?' I raised my eyes, and saw my own pale face in the glass over the mantel above his head. "'What do you see?' he asked, starting up. I pointed to the glass. "'I begin to think,' I said. "'There is another world, one peopled with creatures like those we see there. What are they? Base?' false cowardly cowardly he muttered will you make me crush you can we lie to each other look he turned me from the glass at that moment helen struck a crashing blow on the piano keys charles give me give me the letter he looked vaguely round the floor it was crumpled in his hand a side door shut and i stood alone Pinching my cheeks and wiping my lips to force the colour back, I returned to the parlour. Mr. Somers came to me with a glass of wine. It was full, and some spilled on my dress. He made no offer to wipe it off. After that, he devoted himself to Alice, talking lightly with her, observing her closely. I made a tour of the party, overlooked the whist players, chatted with the talkers, finally taking a seat where Helen joined me. "'Now I am going.' she said. Why don't they all go? Look at Mr. Somers playing the agreeable to Mrs. Morganson. What kind of woman is she, Cass? Go and learn for yourself. I fear I have not the gift for divining people that you have. Do you hear the wind moan now, Helen? She turned crimson and said, Let us go to the window. I think it rains. We stood within the curtains, and listened to its pattering on the floor of the piazza, and trickling down the glass like tears. "'Helen, 
"'If one could weep as quietly as this rain falls, "'and keep the face as unwrinkled as the glass, "'it would be pretty to weep. "'Is it hard for you to cry?' "'I can't remember. "'It is so long since.' "'My ear caught the sound of a step on the piazza. "'Who is that?' she asked. "'It is a man. "'Morganson? "'Morganson. "'Cassandra? "'Cassandra. "'I can cry.' "'And Helen covered her face. "'Cry away, then. "'Give me a fierce shower of tears, "'with thunder and lightning between, if you like. "'Don't stop and soak and drizzle.' The step came close to the window. It was not in harmony with the rain and darkness, but with the hot beating of my heart. "'We are breaking up,' called Mr. Somers. "'Mr. Bancroft's carriage is ready, I am bid to say. "'It is inky outside.' "'Yes,' said Helen, "'I am quite ready.' "'There are a dozen chaises in the yard. "'Mr. Morganson is there, and lanterns. "'He is at home among horses, I believe.' "'Do you like horses?' I asked. "'Not in the least.' "'Somebody called Helen. "'Good night, Cass. "'Good night. "'Keep out of the rain.' "'Good night, Miss Morganson,' said Mr. Somers, when she had gone. "'Good night, and good morning. "'My acquaintance with you has begun. "'It will never end. "'You thought me a boy. "'I am just your age. "'Never is a long word.' boy somers it is it rained all night i wearied of its monotonous fall if i slept it turned into a voice which was pent up in a letter which i could not open end of chapter 17